We are in Mark chapter 14, nearing the end of Mark's gospel. And tonight we're going to look at uh, verses 12 through 25. So pretty much the whole right column of page 1011 if you're using the church Bible. Mark 14, 12 through 25. Our passage is going to begin saying, it's the day when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And so for it's, good, it's good for us to set the context by reflecting, what is Passover? Anyone? Yes. So in Egypt, the doors that were painted with the lamb's blood were passed over. Uh, and that final sign of the ten signs uh, enacts the exodus from Egypt then. So it means uh, being spared from God's just wrath, passing over, but it also means exodus, deliverance, redemption. How was Passover celebrated? What do we know from reading the Bible? The lamb was slaughtered. Yeah, bitter herbs. I don't know what exactly what that means, but uh, sprinkled the blood. Yeah. Yeah, shoes on, and you're supposed to tuck your robe and your belt. Uh, uh, the first, yeah, the bags packed the first time, but then even later on, uh, celebrations. It was meant to be a family meal, and if you couldn't uh, eat it all yourself, you were supposed to invite neighbors to help you finish the lamb. Uh, and then after the initial Passover, once they're settled in the land. Uh, especially the men were required, but people were supposed to go to Jerusalem to feast together. And actually, we don't know exactly when this tradition started, but it uh, seems perhaps likely during Jesus' time that there were four different cups of wine as part of the Passover feast, and each of these cups was meant to signify one of the promises from Exodus 6, 6-7. to I'll just read that little passage for you. Uh, Exodus 6, here God is speaking to Moses. He's telling them Moses what to say to Israel. Say therefore to the people, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be your people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So there's this complex uh, linking of promises here, uh, being brought out from under the burdens, being delivered from slavery, being redeemed, being taken as God's own. And so those uh, four cups, at least at some point, rabbinic tradition tells us uh, four glasses of wine used as symbols of those four promises. And the leader of the meal would have explained that as they worked through the meal. So when Jesus takes up a cup partway through the meal, that wouldn't be totally unexpected for someone to stand up and talk about the cup. Of course, what he says would be unexpected. I'm going to read now uh, Mark 14, 12, all the way through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, 
The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, uh, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And As they were eating, he took bread after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Okay, we kind of have three distinct episodes um, here. First, the preparing for the meal, then the warning about the betrayal, and then the institution of the Lord's Supper, as our ESV heading has it. First, the preparing of the meal. There's a little bit of um, uncertainty or, or unclearness around the timing of the meal in the Gospels. We're told it's on the first day of unleavened bread when the sacrificed uh, the Passover lamb. Traditionally, this is Maundy Thursday, Thursday evening. Uh, and there's several ways to sort of resolve these tensions of, uh, about what's going on here. Uh, part of it's that the Greek reckoning of days began at sunrise, the Jewish reckoning of days at sunset the day before. So the evening, once the sun had set Thursday evening, that's counted as part of Friday, Passover day. Uh, it seems likely that some, perhaps especially the poor, would have eaten the meal Thursday evening rather than Friday. Uh, Josephus tells us a bit later in AD 66, Josephus, that Jewish historian, that 250,000 lambs were sacrificed in the Passover in the year 66 AD. Um, even if he's exaggerating, which seems likely, it's still representative of a huge number of people in a relatively small city, um, Jerusalem, Ancient Jerusalem was not that large of a city, and so it seems likely that in a full city like that, uh, some people would have had to eat Thursday, have their, you know, the temple's got to sacrifice all these lambs that are getting worked through, there's only so many places to eat, so it seems likely that some people would have been eating Thursday evening. I think that's what's happening here with Jesus. Well, the disciples recognize the need to prepare. He sends them with instructions that are reminiscent of chapter 11. Remember chapter 11, when they're coming into the city, he has these sort of cryptic instructions. Uh, does anyone remember what those are? I see a few people turning over, trying to... 11, 12 through 6. Uh, or, no, sorry, that doesn't make sense. 11, 2 through 6. The colt, yeah, and he... He sends them to the town ahead. He says, it's going to be tied up there and get it. Uh, likewise here, this, he says, when you enter the city, someone, a man carrying a jar of water is going to meet you. Well, what's this all about? Uh, remember back to the beginning of chapter 14, 
Uh, it was two days before Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. They said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they're trying to find a way when he's away from the crowds that they can arrest him. And so him celebrating the Passover meal in a private home would be a great occasion to come and arrest him uh, away from the crowds uh, uh, by stealth, as, as ESV has it. But Jesus seems to be intent on two things. He seems to be intent on celebrating the Passover with his disciples before he's arrested. And he also seems to be managing the timing of his arrest so that his death is at the most symbolic point. So he's clearly arranged to celebrate Passover in the guest room, uh, apparently of a large house, since there's Jesus, the twelve, plus other disciples present. There are a number of large houses that uh, archaeologists have found on Mount Zion itself, so maybe he's even on the Temple Mount in a large house, uh, perhaps in one of these. Uh, it, it seems that part of the sign, maybe what would be unusual, is a man carrying water. Oftentimes that was a chore that uh, women would have done. Men had other chores to do. Uh, and so maybe that's the unusualness of the sign, how he stands out. Uh, or maybe he's just carrying water and he kind of gives him a signal. I don't know. Uh, Jesus with to ambush him, to arrest him, to put him to death. And yet Jesus is actually outplaying all of his opponents here, that he's really the one in charge of the situation. And yet it's more than just being outsmarting everyone. The second thing we see is, is his own sovereignty, that things unfold precisely as he says. The man carrying the pitcher of water is not delayed on the way. Okay? The house hasn't burned down. It's all set up as he says. Well, they follow the man. They find the room, as he said. Uh, it's furnished. Rugs are spread out for them to recline on. There's a table or something for them to eat at and they prepare the Passover. Any, any comments just on that sort of uh, little bit of intrigue setting up the meal? Yeah, Ben. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not uh, 100%. I mean, the details of the text don't mandate one way or the other. I think it's prearranged. I think he's planned ahead of time uh, for the cult and for the, the Passover meal. I, I think the thing to him is he knows he's going to be arrested. He wants to make sure he can celebrate the feast first. So there's a bit of um, subterfuge around, around that. I, that's, that's my reading, but if, if, if you want to take the other line, I don't think the text forces you one way or the other. Yeah, Dan. It could be, but we don't know. I mean, um, if it is, then I think it's John Mark's mother. Um, I think Acts says somewhere in there, uh, at least the commentaries were saying, somewhere in Acts it mentions that it's John Mark's mother's house that they're in, uh, which traditionally that would be the author then of this gospel. So if it's, it's a chance. And then, of course, people then like to jump as many steps as they can. So is, is John Mark then the one carrying the water jug at this point? Um, we'll see a similar thing in next week's passage, or, or maybe two weeks, uh, when the young man runs away naked, that people think, this is Mark, the author of the gospel. That's why he doesn't say it was me. Uh, but anyways, uh, there's lots of space for speculation on these texts that um, maybe isn't all. Yeah, certainly there are large upper room that's owned by a disciple that's friendly to the Jesus movement uh, in the city of Jerusalem. I can't imagine there's too many buildings that match that exactly. So 
So it seems plausible, let's put it that way. Plausible it's the same room, but like you say, neither here nor there. Okay, verse 17, when evening comes, Jesus and the 12 follow along. It seems likely that there's more than just Jesus and the 12 at this meal. Two disciples have been sent ahead to prepare, uh, and then a little bit later when he says it's one of the 12, he seems to be saying there's a larger group than 12. It's one of those that are you know, this inner group. Um, so uh, apologies to da Vinci. It seems like it's more than 13 people at this meal, kind of a larger gathering together. Well, they're at the meal, and Jesus, as they're reclining and eating, warns them, truly, surely this is the case. I am going to be betrayed. The betrayal is at hand, and it's going to be by one who's close to Jesus. Indeed, he's saying it's one who's eating this meal with me, okay? It's not that someone noticed us coming in the stairs, you know, out in the city and turns us over. It's part of the group itself that betrays us. Verse 19, then, I think is an interesting and insightful verse, and perhaps this is the moment in which the disciples are really starting to get it. Because what do they do? They're sorrowful, and they each start asking him, is it I? slow on the uptake. And given the right circumstances, it could be any of them that they have it in their heart to betray Christ. Then it's interesting, not only is it I, but then in subsequent church practice, uh, as from Paul onward, we are exhorted to self-examination as we come to the Lord's table. Say, I have betrayed you in various ways. Here's those ways. Forgive me for those. Uh, is it I? Is it I? Verse 20 then, he narrows it down. It's one of the twelve. Uh, and you can, you can feel his emotions here, as it were, that it's, it's one of my closest friends that's going to betray me. One who's right, that's like they're both being hummus at the same time, like, gotcha, it's you. But it's saying, no, the, the 12 who are sharing this plate together, this dish, uh, it's part of this intimate group who's someone who's eating with me, a friend. Uh, verse 21, for the Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. We see in this verse both God and human at work in the betrayal of Jesus. How do we see God at work, or, or an indication that this is part of God's plan? As it is written, this is fulfilling scriptures. Uh, hundreds of years before, it's been said. It's fulfilling God's word. And yet, does this absolve human responsibility? No, it says uh, it would be better for him, woe to him. Be better if he hadn't been born. He's totally responsible for his actions, and yet his actions are fulfilling God's word. These two levels are happening at once. Uh, it doesn't tell us how that all fits together, but it just simply tells us that it is the case. They are both working together. Any questions on that, or comments, observations on that middle scene before we turn to the Lord's Supper? Yeah, Lulu. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some of the times Pharaoh's hardening his own heart, some of the times God's hardening his heart, and yet, yeah, the, the, both those levels are at play. Yeah. 
Yeah, Rafe. I think, okay, uh, that's a great question. The whole passage, or the whole gospel building up to here on the way he keeps telling them, I'm going to betray him over and be killed. So three times he tells them, they seem to not get it still. And so they're still saying, when are we going to come to power? When are we going to take over? That kind of thing. And so um, uh, maybe to put it the other way around, he simply led them up to Jerusalem for the Passover, never mentioned the death, was suddenly arrested and killed. There's no word of God to interpret what's happening, or Christ's word doesn't interpret the events. Um, after he was resurrected, you could say this is what that was all about. Um, but again, uh, even using Exodus again as an example, and Passover makes it all fit well. Throughout the whole time, you have both Moses saying the signs are coming, and yet Moses is always inter- speaking for God, is interpreting them, saying this is what this sign means. This is what's going to happen. Now you know that I am the Lord God. Now you know that the Lord God is in the midst of the land. Uh, now you know that I am the Lord over all God. You know, he keeps interpreting that, and that's really what you see throughout the Bible, is that God acts, but he also always speaks to interpret it. And so Christ is doing the same thing. He's interpreting it. He's saying, I'm going to be betrayed. Be ready for this. Be prepared. Um, yeah, so he's, he's preparing them, but also interpreting the events that are about to happen. Good, good comments. Yeah, Nate. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great observation. Because what we see is you have God orchestrating all things, Human, but the plan unfolds, and so Lewis, for example, uses the illustration of, uh, C.S. Lewis uses the illustration of Shakespeare and Hamlet. The characters are unfolding according to their own motivations, and yet Shakespeare's writing the whole play. Okay, God is writing the whole story. It unfolds as he's planned it, uh, and yet they have their own motivations. And yet there's also another level where God is continually speaking, calling people back to himself, giving opportunities to repent. And so it's not just like Shakespeare writing Hamlet, and then the characters just do what they're going to do. It's like Shakespeare writing Hamlet, but Shakespeare also in Hamlet, trying to get people to do the right thing, trying to appeal to them to repent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great, great comment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I broke the... Um, well, I, anyways, I broke the passage in kind of a, we'll come back to it next, next week, but it's warning about Judas betraying the Last Supper, Lord's Supper, and then warning about Peter betraying. And so either side of the Lord's Supper is one of these Mark sandwiches where you have betrayal, supper, betrayal, um, the way Mark tells the, uh, tells the story. It's 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 work. Work. We think of the Lord, I know his work looking backwards, and the first salvation is looking forward. Here's how he says what's going to happen tomorrow. And he, he does get words. So in 1044, he says he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, in 1210, he says he's the stone that the builders rejected, and he's going to become the cornerstone of a new building God's constructing. So there are these different uh, ways of thinking about his death uh, that he gives, and yet his, he doesn't have a long explanation about how the cross works exactly like Paul later has or some of the other New Testament authors. Uh, the author of Hebrews has these more 
in-depth explanations or, um, you know, Anselm or John Owen have these more in-depth explanations of how the cross works. And that's certainly appropriate. Uh, and yet it seems like in the nature of the case, maybe it's something that if you tried to lay all that out ahead of time and then say, this is what's going to happen tomorrow, here's the whole theory of the substitutionary tone, you know, whatever that is, uh, it doesn't quite work. It's almost like you can't explain it beforehand. You can give some symbols, like the meal, you can give some categories, it's a ransom, it's the beginning of, you know, the cornerstone of God's kingdom. You, know, you can give these things, and yet uh, it's almost like you have to see it to believe it, and then you can start to make sense of it. So what does he do? He gives them a meal. Again, we see uh, Jesus, just as Jesus gives opportunity to repent, uh, he keeps trying to teach the disciples. The Son of Man's going to be put to death and rise again after three days. They're not getting it. Okay, let's try it a different way. Let's use this meal. The meal then is both the last supper that Jesus has with his disciples, a Passover meal, but then it's also the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, and just some, uh, it's just good to know in case you don't, um, we call the Lord's Supper and baptism sacraments. Sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentum, which simply means mystery. We're saying something mysterious happens at baptism and at the Lord's Supper. It's not just a, a typical meal, not just a typical bath, but there's something supernatural happening through the Spirit in the midst of those. Uh, the Lord's Supper also gets called the Eucharist, um, which is not Roman Catholic, but actually it's, it comes from uh, well, first, what kind of meal is it? It's a Passover meal. Okay, so it's explaining the cross as fulfilling what Exodus was a type of or a foreshadow of. Exodus, uh, those promises that I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver you from bondage. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you to be my people. Okay, this is a new Exodus, a new Passover. It's fulfilling all those promises. It's leading you out of the world into God's kingdom. It's breaking the bondage of sin and the powers and principalities. It's redeeming you. It's saying, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. So the signs or the, or the ten uh, uh, plagues in this new exodus don't fall on Egypt or the Romans or the Jewish temple leaders, but they fall on Christ himself. What's interesting is in all the gospel accounts of this Passover meal, we're told they prepared the Passover, but did you notice one thing? It talks about bread and a cup, but do you notice one thing that's missing from the Passover meal? So it's a pattern, a new exodus, brought by Christ's own death. The first part, he takes the bread and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body. It feeds you, it sustains you. In the ancient world, you know, 50% uh, of calories uh, or more, uh, I think, I don't remember the exact numbers, but bread, wine, olive oil, that would have been the main source of most calories, okay? It's coming from bread. What does bread do? It sustains you. Christ is saying, I am your spiritual bread. I sustain you. I nourish you. And yet, just like bread, I must be broken to be given to you. So Christ gives his life in the twofold sense. He gives up his life. He gives us his life. 
we receive. Third, there's the cup that he calls the blood of the covenant poured out for many. It seems to be picking up a, a couple of things there with that language. In Exodus 24, after Moses uh, gives the law to Israel and the covenant, they uh, seal the covenant between God and his people's blood on the is now being enacted in Christ's blood through Christ's blood. That's really the heart of the atonement. Atonement means being made at one. I will be your God, you will be my people. That's possible through the cross. But then this, it's poured out for many. Uh, and that many is an emphasis on the largesse of Christ's victory, what he has won. It's, it's for many people. And that language seems to be picking up Isaiah 53, uh, Joel, that you pointed out last week. He poured out his soul to death and was remembered uh, or, or numbered with the transgressors, and yet he bore the sins of many. Poured out for many. It's picking up that language. And then, of course, Isaiah 53 also has the language about all we like sheep have gone astray. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. So at the Passover meal, the bread that sustains us is broken. The cup is the blood of the covenant sealing this new covenant. Uh, he also makes this vow in Mark's gospel in verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's, it's a vow, it's an oath, it's saying, I'm going to do this. Uh, we say, you know, in modern day we say, even if it kills me, something like that. But remember when uh, uh, the uh, Jerusalem people are going to try and kill Paul at the end of the gospel, or not, towards the end of Acts, some people from Jerusalem decide they're going to try and kill Paul. And remember they take a vow that they're not going to eat or drink until they kill him. We're never told what actually happens there. Hopefully they eventually broke their vow and didn't die. But that's the language Jesus is using here. He's saying, I'm not going to drink wine again until I drink it new in the, co- in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, okay, the stage is set. Uh, it's about to happen. I'm not going to eat with you again. I'm not going to feast with you again. I'm not going to drink wine again until the kingdom comes. That's what's going to happen over the next 24 hours. It's a Passover meal, it's, it's, it's his broken body that sustains us, it's the cup of the new covenant, it's a vow, and then fifth, and these were the ones I came up with, but it's uh, by giving us a sign rather than just a few words, it is this complex image that can get unpacked. Uh, fifth, it's a meal. What do you, who do you eat meals with? Uh, the person you don't like? Your obnoxious neighbor? Uh, typically not. You eat meals with friends. You eat meals with family. So Christ gives himself so that we can be friends. Uh, It's a substitutionary love. He's saying it's going to cost me, but I want to eat with you. I want to be friends with you, have this friendship meal together. Uh, Any other, there's probably, I'm sure, more things that I haven't picked up on this. Yeah, Dan. Well, it's, I mean, it's a good question. What, what my brief reading seemed to say is that the four cups were associated with those four parts of the Passover promise from Exodus 6. Um, uh, in Luke's gospel, there's like more than one cup at the Last Supper, and it's a little bit tricky to keep that straight. So 
it does seem like they're following that, but I, I don't have the details on the front of my mind of how that all worked out. Yeah, more we didn't get to, but let's turn to our time of prayer then.